personal moments and how you have experienced God in this past week. Speaking of experiencing God, um, yesterday, um, Henry Blackaby died and went to be with the Lord. Now, you may or may not know that name, Henry Blackaby, but he was part of the first group of eight students at UBC in 1955 who started the Baptist student ministry, which became Born for More, from which Origin Church has been birthed. He wrote a book called Knowing and Doing the Will of God, Experiencing God. And it is a bestseller. In fact, Henry Blackaby is one of the best-selling authors who graduated from UBC that you had never heard of. His work has been translated into many languages and shared. His work um, really was a, a revival work because it encouraged the church, slow down, meet God, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will show you his will and do it. He calls normal people. Like over and over and over, I heard Henry Blackaby say, he calls normal people. And the church becomes abnormal people. <laughs> One of the things I heard Henry share is that he said, um, every, he, said, I, he said, God so loves the church that every time the church gathers, I want to make sure I don't miss it. His deep love for God, his deep love for the church, will be an ongoing legacy that will go for many, many, many years. But how many of you knew about him? Did, did you know him? See, not very many of you. This is, this is a very Canadian problem. We, we don't celebrate our own who do very, very well. Um, so I encourage you, go pick up the book or workbook, Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God, and it will be a great adventure. He will, God will bless you in it. That's what we're going to talk about today, is blessings. The, the Word of God blesses us. Um, what, what, what does it feel like to be blessed? I mean, if you've been listening to Maverick City for a while, you know how to sing it. Bless me, bless me. You know, you can get into that request. Bless me, Lord, bless me. What does it feel like to say, I am blessed? Now, on the flip side, we could say, what does it feel like to say, I'm so cursed? Ooh, what a terrible weight to bear. To be saying, oh, I'm so cursed, rather than blessed. Years ago, I, I visited um, over 20 worship services in one of my terms in university. I had gotten my honors speech communications and culture uh, professor to allow me to visit um, different worship services in our area and services that weren't in English. They were in other languages than English. And so... I learned how to go and worship there, and, but I was trying to practice being sort of a social anthropologist in the living. And so I would have to write, what do I observe? What do I see? What's going on here? 
And at the end of every service, without exception, every one of them had a benediction. They had a blessing. They had something at the end that was offered with a hand out that said, I am seeking to convey to you God's message of blessing to you. And in some congregations, people would actually hold their hands out. Like, I'm going to receive something. Do you know, like the kid who's 16 and says, can I have the car keys? Can I have a credit card? I'm going to university. I've got my hand out. And, and God delights in those people who put their hands out and say, bless me. And this is why in all of our services, we end with a blessing. Because God knows we need it. And in most of the letters of the apostles, they end with a blessing. They end with a blessing because they know that people need it. That along the way in their exhortations, in their corrections, in their encouragement, some may have sensed and felt, is there anything good for me? Is there anything here for me? And the blessing is meant to convey what is here for you. We read the beginning of the letter to the Thessalonians. This was Christians who were living in Thessalonica. They had three major challenges as a group of Christians. One, they had become a new family that was made up of a really diverse group of people. They had some that were wealthy. They had some that were very poor. They had some that were literate. They had some that were illiterate. They had some who were masters. They had some who were slaves. And yet together as a family, they had become brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a challenge. That's sort of like our challenge. Brothers and sisters in Christ from diverse backgrounds, from diverse cultural experiences. And how are we going to act like a family? They had a second challenge. As the, from the very beginning of the church in Thessalonica, they experienced social, economic, and government or municipal pressure. They experienced pressure because they were following this strange rabbi that they claimed died on a Roman cross and was raised again. Thessalonica enjoyed a lot of rights as a Roman city. And you're saying that there was a rabbi carpenter who died on the cross, crucified with the sign that said, King of the Jews, crucified by the Romans, and God raised him from the dead? Are you trying to create trouble here? Families would have felt dismissed and diminished 
because these followers of Jesus wouldn't do the rituals associated with the previous religion of the family. It appears that not only did some of them experience pressure, but they also died. It's mentioned in the book of Thessalonians. Some of you have died. The third thing that they faced, not only the challenge of becoming a family, not only the challenge of experiencing a lot of pressure socially, economically, and from the government, is that now they needed to deal with grief and loss. They needed to deal with the grief of people who had died. And it seems they hadn't really taken up the message of the resurrection of Jesus yet as a personal promise to them. And so they were very challenged by the prospect of death. They were very challenged by the prospect of what happens to those who died? What will happen in the future? Maybe some of them weren't feeling so blessed facing those challenges. But the Word of God provides a blessing for us. And so I'm going to pick up a little deeper into Paul's letter in chapter 4, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 5. I'm going to read it so that you can listen. I want you to listen like the first congregation that heard it, where Paul says, I command you, read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. Because he wanted them to hear it, literate or illiterate. He knew they needed to be blessed by this word. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that Jesus returns. God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, some of you may be feeling a little challenged because this week I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So you can change that in your app if you want. The New Living Translation. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living... Will, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever." So, encourage each other with these words. Chapter 5. Now, concerning how and when all this happens, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night, when people are saying, everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster will come on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you 
are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and the night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us, so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are doing. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other. For this is God's will for those who belong. Ah, Good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Did you hear some familiar words? Ah, you've actually now read the origin blessing in context. And you know, we've adapted it a bit. We don't actually greet each other with a holy kiss. But we do extend that familial family relationship by opening our arms and putting a hand on the shoulder. It seemed to go better than the kissing. We're not even sure what what all they were doing with the holy kiss, what that was. Was it just the besses, you know, one cheek to other cheek? We don't know what they were doing. So we've, we've adapted it. We took up this word as our blessing here at Origin 
Because the three challenges of being a new people, having a new or strange lifestyle, and having new expectations about our future is also our challenge. It is the challenge in our context. How are we going to be church together as a new people? How are we going to face carrying out the lifestyle of Christ in a place that thinks you are weird? Like Portland. Just be weird. Like a Jesus follower. Keep it that way. And then how are we going to face the challenge of the expectations that we have that seem so out of line with our culture of reason and unbelief and the fact that most of us haven't died and come back yet. We don't have a report of what it was like. And so we've chosen this blessing because it speaks to all of this. When you bless someone, you actually enter into the most basic ministry of a disciple. Every disciple is meant to be able to pray for another. And so, in fact, even though we already, you know, we say, oh, our prayer team is available after, all of you have been the prayer team. All of you have joined in the priestly function of the believers. It's sort of the little b Baptist roots of our theology that says the priesthood of the believer is something that's essential for the life of every Christian, that we bear the right and responsibilities for reading the Word of God, interpreting the Word of God, and applying the Word of God together, and that there is a ministry to which we have all been called into as brothers and sisters. And so if anybody comes to you and says, hey, will you be on the prayer team? Your reflexive move in the Spirit should be, yeah! You've been training me to pray every week. Put a hand on the shoulder and say with me, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. This is part of the prayer ministry of the church. We are blessing one another. Do you know it's the work of Israel that Jesus probably heard and all of the disciples heard every week this blessing, the blessing that was given to Aaron to give to Israel by Moses. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. Every service ended like that. And in Christ, it wasn't just reserved for the priests. In Christ, we have been turned into the priesthood of the believers. A royal nation, a royal priesthood, meant to bless and be blessed. And if you've been blessed, you are meant to bless. You have been blessed to bless. There are three blessings 
three requests in our prayer. May God bless you with his holiness. May God bless you with enduring blamelessness. May God bless you with the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. He is faithful. He will do it. Amen. Those three blessings speak to the deep needs of our lives. Now, some of us at sometimes think the deepest need in our life is at least passing on our next midterm. Is that at least we need rent dollars for the next month. Oh, at least we need a place to live come September. And those are all blessings that the Lord gives us. The Lord does not mind giving us those blessings. He loves to give to his children who will open their hands. Because the children who live with open hands who can be blessed will be trusted with a little and a little more and a little more. And he knows they can be trusted to give it as well because they live with open hands. The psalmist says in Psalm 32, a psalm of David, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. And in their spirit, there is no deceit. They are blessed. They are joyful. They are content. This is the greatest blessing available. This is why we pray, may God bless you with holiness. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Some of us really need to pay attention to that word. Because we think that holiness in our life is going to be generated by the fear of wrath. The fear of anger, the fear of shame, the fear of having to stand up and say, I'm the guilty one. And so for some of us, that has at times kept us from some things because we're like, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want the wrath of my parents. They're like God to me. I don't want the wrath of this person in my life. And so we think that's what's meant to generate holiness in our lives. But holiness, the capacity to love like God loves, is only going to be generated by knowing God in the ways of his peace. That his son, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came and died. The wrath of God was poured out in order that the peace of God might inhabit our lives. May the God of peace make you holy in every way. This is that process of sanctification. It's ongoing. So Paul goes on with this sense of process when he says, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes. And he speaks of an enduring blamelessness. How many of you have said, don't blame me? Honest? Let's hear, how, do you, how is it meant to be said? Don't blame me. Or is it meant to be angry? Don't blame me. 
None of us actually want to be drawn into the blame game. Can you imagine living a blameless life? No, we can't. That's really difficult. And so what is it that Paul's after here when he says, may God give you, may God keep you, may God secure you in blamelessness. Oh, there's none righteous who can stand before the Lord. There's none who can stand up and say, oh, I've never sinned, except Christ alone. And if we stand in him, then he becomes the one who is blameless, who stands for us. So he's actually praying that you would be kept in the blamelessness of Christ because he's coming again. Paul is looking forward and says that he's being drawn forward into this promise of the return of Christ who sets all things right and anew. And then he says, may he bless you with his grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace. We need more grace. Why do I need more grace? Because I know I'm not blameless. Except in Christ, I've been granted a blamelessness that's not mine. It's something that was his, and he's given it to me. So that now in Christ, I can truly say, I am forgiven. Forgiven people live better. Forgiven people live without things to hide. Forgiven people learn to live without great secrets that plague us. If you've ever been charged with keeping a family secret, you are charged with a terrible burden. And in Christ, as brothers and sisters, family secrets, this is not our way. Now, we can keep a confidence, can you not? This is a trusted friend. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about this need to move and hide and hold and protect and make loyalty something that it's not meant to be. So that instead, in Christ, we can tell the truth. That apart from Christ, I am not blameless. But in Christ, I rejoice in what he's given me. I'm truly blessed. I'm blessed to be a forgiven person. I'm blessed to experience the love of God. I'm blessed to be drawn into his communion. I'm blessed to have something to look forward to that's greater and beyond anything in this world. I'm blessed to have a shepherd who does care for me even in these days. I'm blessed to have a Lord who knows I need clothes and food to eat. I'm blessed to know I have a friend in Jesus. My Lord, Jesus Christ. With these references, Paul draws a line straight from the priestly blessing of Aaron to this blessing now of being in Christ. 
for he keeps referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a nod to the reference of Yahweh, the Lord that's in the Old Testament, in that blessing. Do you know if you read your Old Testament writing and you see in all caps, L-O-R-D, it's a literal, it's a translation, but it's a kind translation of the word Yahweh. To say, this is the Lord. And when Paul draws that line across, he's reaching across those ages to say, yeah, my Lord. My Lord, Jesus Christ. My Lord, Christ, the Messiah. It's Jesus. And he's coming back. God is faithful and will do it. I remember many of my days as a university student thinking, I'm really not all that good. I'm not all that righteous. All my sins seemed very gross. But I tell you now that I'm older, that my sins seem even grosser. My selfishness, my greed, my impatience, my judgment, my difficulty in trusting God, it seems more gross. It doesn't go away. So even I need this word and I need this blessing. And we need to believe it. Do you know, the scripture tells us a story of how desperate people were to be blessed. Are you desperate for a blessing? Are you desperate for a word of affirmation and acceptance? There's a story told of two brothers, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob plotted to get Esau's blessing. He plotted with his mother. His, his mother wanted him to really get blessed by the dad, Isaac. So they contrived an enormous, deceitful plan that involved, you know, putting on animal skins because Esau was hairy and um, Jacob apparently wasn't. I mean, my goodness, what a hairy brother. If, if having, you know, an, an animal skin, it's such an amazing story. Such an amazing story. Jacob got the blessing. Esau comes and says, hey, Dad, I'm here for the blessing. Is that you, Esau? You, but, oh, it was your brother. He smelled just like you. Yeah, this, I tell you, it's a strange story. And Esau says, don't you have a blessing for me? No, I gave all the blessings to your brother. It's like I'm out of blessings. And I tell you, sometimes our earthly fathers and mothers are out of blessings. They don't, they don't have it. Your professors may be out of blessings. Your bosses at work may be out of blessings. Your friends, they, they'll sometimes be out of blessings. But God, he's never out of blessings. Heavenly Father, we turn to you 
And with the desperation of Esau, we say, bless us. Bless us, Lord Jesus. As we come as believers to the Lord's Supper, to your table, we remember Jesus and his body. We remember the blood of Jesus. And we pray that even now you would bless us at this table and bless us in our gathering. We pray that your spirit would bless us, that we might truly be your people. Help us to hear your word and affirmation of blessing today.